You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Hey guys, can you all hear me? Thank you for coming. I'm Sandra McCracken, and um, I am so glad to be with you all here, and I'm going to kind of... So I'm not really um, coming as a teacher or as a theologian or anything like that, but coming as a fellow creative, I thought a lot of you guys are creatives, right? Show of hands if you're like writing or, yes, okay. And worship leaders, how many of you guys, oh man, like everybody. <laughs> so, um, so I am with you in this journey of um, being a student of the Psalms, being a one who... Um, kind of follows this breadcrumb trail to see what we can learn and who we are and how we get to know each other in light of the scripture and in light of singing together and gathering for worship. Um, and I'm also a singer-songwriter. I, I started out, um, I, I think music's been part of my devotional life since I was a very little girl. And don't, I don't think I noticed that, and and we talked a little bit about that earlier. If, if some of you guys, I know we're in the earlier session of the Q and A with or the panel, um, but I'll just kind of jump in, and I'd love to spend the time together playing excerpts of songs, talking through songs, how they work both on a personal and um, corporate format. So, like on one hand, I'm coming at this as a songwriter, and on the other hand, as a worship leader in my own church context. I've been serving for four years at a little church in Nashville. And um, it's just been, I think those things have come together so beautifully and, and in so many ways that I probably, probably more ways than I could count or make notes about. So I'm in this with you and would love to have your feedback as we spend this hour together. Um, I'd also love to just open in prayer, just asking um, God to be with us. So let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for going before us and for bringing your spirit, for leading us to things um, both creatively and personally and spiritually. I ask for your spirit to be with us today as we talk, that you, um, that you would be lifted up, that your name would be made great among us. Um, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, so um, I will just dig in here and say, um, yeah, I'd love to kind of look through songs one at a time and just spend some time thinking about where they came from for me as in the songwriting process. And if you have questions, just, just shoot your hand up and, or just um, flag me down and uh, we can talk through it. So the first one I wanted to start with was, was a song called Steadfast that I wrote with a couple of friends. And... Um, I wrote this one. This was like a one of those songwriting appointments that was just set up, and the third one of the Josh Silverberg I'd never met before. Um, Leslie Jordan, she and I had had written before and were good friends. So one part of it's relational, the other one's totally new, and um, it was maybe for a project. I don't know. Somebody else set it up, so didn't know what we were gonna get out of a out of a session like that. I don't always do that, and. Um, so it was fun. It's kind of an adventure, kind of intimidating. And this one was from Psalm 33. We spent a lot of time with this text. And, um, you know, when I think about church, church music and melodies, I think about um, sometimes just what it means to sing in a, in a modern context. Like 
when do we sing together other than if we're churchgoers, right? It's kind of, we sing in the car or we sing like at a concert. And, um, and it's an amazing thing. So, I, so I've said this before, but what I have thought about in terms of writing music for people to sing is like going to a Tom Petty concert. I mean, I remember going to Tom Petty and everybody's singing at the top of their lungs for two hours. And it's like, wow. I mean, and, and in this case, you have... In the case of rock and roll music, you have people that pour their souls into rock and roll music, thinking that this will be the thing that will save us, right? And it is a joy to sing Tom Petty songs, make no mistake. And, and yet, we know as believers that there is, a, there is a deep well that is so far greater than any other um, salvation. There is no other place that we would find the richness for our thirsty hearts than to sing and worship together. So, but, but applying those principles, what makes a song like Free Fallen sound so good when we sing it? <laughs> you know, so the simplicity of the melodies and, um, and the singability of that. Like he, he is the example I would use because his writing did a thing where he spoke so plainly, so directly, and also um, in a way that was like understandable and not dumb. Does that make sense? Like so, and there are lots of other examples, and you may hate Tom Petty's music, but and that's okay. But like whatever your example is for like accessible, like I want to be, I think he wants to be his writing, he's I mean he's not with us, but he wanted to be understood. He wanted to communicate, and he also wanted to communicate to a lot of people, right? So I think in the sense that our what we believe and how we communicate, that it shouldn't just be like how I feel, but it should also be like, I want to talk to you. I want to share this together. We want to share this. So, um, and then this one uh, is from Psalm 33. I'll read a little bit of that together before I sing. And it says, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. The heading above the psalm says, the steadfast love of the Lord. And just right there, it's like we just pause and see um, this is a theme of our lives. Verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. And then jumping down to verse 16, The king is not saved by his great army, and a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Closing in verse 20, it says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Okay, I'll sing a little bit. Sing the chorus with me if you want or if you know it.
Church is always good on election week. No, I will not trust in the strength of kings on your promise. I will stand. I will shout for joy. I will raise my voice. Hallelujah to the Lamb. You are steadfast. Yeah, so, okay, when I'm singing that, there's also a bridge, and then there's another double chorus. The bridge is um, a text that was from Henry Now and that Leslie was, like, reading, and it kind of got brought into the song right at that moment. And when I do that one in the, with a congregation, I'll just make a little sidebar note that what I love, I think unison singing is underrated. And so, like, taking a bridge, if it's got a tricky melody or something, try to do it as squarely as possible and to just have all the singers do it unison. And then everybody knows exactly what's expected of them. And, I mean, harmonies are great, but it's it can be really an, a, um, a useful tool of inviting everybody to join in. So, any questions so far? Thoughts about leading or... Okay, um, so um, the next one I'd love to share is um, it's called Come Light Our Hearts, and the text from this one was from Psalm 62, just um, from the very beginning, the first verse, let me grab it here, uh, the heading is My Soul Waits for God Alone, verse 1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence, and from him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. And then again in verse 5, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. So this is like a refrain. you know. And first time you hear it, and, and it's affirming it to the reader, and then, or to the to the other person, and then the second time, he's he's singing to his soul. We're singing to our souls, like my soul, wait in silence. Um, verse eight: Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. And I I think this psalm is um, circles this theme of silence, which is um, which is one that is so important. I think culturally, when you think about what are modern songs. Um, one of the thing, one of the features or the challenges, one of the greatest challenges I think of our age is noise and distraction. Like we are bombarded with stimulus of all kinds. Um, Dallas Willard has this quote that says, "Silence is tied to the proper use of words, and noise is tied to power. We make noise because we want power." And then you have this psalm that says, "Like be still before the Lord," and. Um, last week at church, we were talking, and our pastor mentioned this idea of silence and said, think about the moment when Jesus was before Pilate and the silence, right? So the one who holds all the power stood in silence to hold the power, like to hold it um, permanently on our behalf, right? And so when we enter into this place of worship and we think about how important the space between the notes is, 
how important the space, even the awkwardness, like embrace the awkwardness between transitions. Like we're not making TV shows, right? <laughs> like we're making disciples, like <laughs> not programming. And I think if, if we walk in saying like, we, we want to be people together, um, we begin to see like, oh, this is awkward, right? I just dropped my guitar pick or I started in the wrong key. That's all right. Like, I want to be known in that because I, I know that we're all going to be in this together. And if we're in this together, like as Wendell Berry would say, like the membership, like then it's not performance anymore. And from that place, silence is like, oh, maybe that's okay. And maybe I don't need to take up all the space. Um, so this song came out of that passage and out of um, even just kind of practicing Advent, which is its own kind of silence. Like I had not grown up in a tradition where we practiced a leading up to Christmas quite that way. And that was, um, there was some new joy and discovery in that for me. Um, and taking the four weeks leading up to Christmas where we didn't sing all the Christmas songs yet, but we waited. And then I was like, as the worship leader, my first year at this church, I was like, I don't know any songs that are not Christmas, but almost Christmas. <laughs> so, so there was like this like gap. And I think people are writing more Advent songs and it's, um, but what a beautiful practice in the church tradition to say, we will wait and we actually make space. It's like, um, I don't know, like, I think it makes me think of the first line of Away in a Manger. Um, like just the idea of like holding a cradle that is open and there's waiting for this for this incarnate God who becomes a baby in our midst. Like so practicing that once a year once a year begins to align our affections and our hearts in a way that's opposite of the noise of the culture. Saying that we are um we are free to hold space. And then all of a sudden we're practicing that when we're sitting at coffee with a friend. And it's okay to be in silence or it's okay to have awkward moments. You're not going to get that on social media. You're going to get exactly the right amount of characters, and you're going to get your best life now, you know? <laughs> like, that's not really the way we live, right? Um, and I think that's the beautiful, um, the, the reality of the incarnation is that he came to be with us in that. And so, um, th so this one was written during Advent, and for it, the first recording of it was on a children's album, Rain for Roots, and... Um, it was fun to see a song that was both meant for the church to sing and also for kids that could have these repeating sections. It's another one of those songs that has like, it's not a bunch of verses, but it has like an A and a B. And you can kind of, you can um, spontaneously lead through those two sections. So if, um, this is an, a logistic sidebar, but if I'm leading the band through it, I'll say, okay, we learn, we learn the song on whatever's on the page. But then, like, watch me for if we're going to go to the B section or the A section. And then we just call it out. And I'm leading them and in the congregation by, like, a word, like, like the first couple words of that line or whatever. And I think that helps to keep it spontaneous and also planned. Like, you kind of have to have a little bit of both. And best case scenario, I feel like it's a little bit of both. So um, this has come light our hearts.
I should just say, you know, if that this can also be devotional. If we move in and out of songs, it's okay that it's both um, workshop, but also just to know that this can be a time of quiet and prayer as well for you. Um, so the uncomfortable thing about silence is that it brings things up, you know? Like before we work through those places where we need healing, it brings stuff up and you're like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> Which is probably why the noise is so um, addictive, right? Because when we get quiet, it's just like, man... I want to push all that stuff down and like shove it under the rug and make hope it goes away. But whatever we don't deal with is transmitted. So you're going to keep, it's going to come out somewhere. <laughs> so the good news of that is that when we, when we practice silence in this way, in this biblical way, we begin to understand that the Lord is gracious with us, that Jesus is not there to just expose the things that are painful in our hearts or the things that are that we're ashamed of just to like leave us. But he wants to expose, he wants that to be opened up so that he can heal us. And that where there is 
like honest lament in a in this biblical way there's also an opportunity for that to be healed so that the tears are fruitful and so that our lament is not self-absorption or just wallowing in things but moving through the sorrows moving through the places of brokenness and onto the other side and when when we experience that kind of that is i mean that's what worship is designed to do it's to realign our hearts toward wholeness and we can't do it by ourselves, but we we can make ourselves available to him in this way, right? We, we bring ourselves as fully as we can and trust that he will do his work with gentleness, that he's trustworthy, um, and that he is not going to just leave us w- with all the wounds like gaping open. And And I think we need to be sensitive to each other week to week, sitting next to each other in a pew or leading on on the team together to know that we are all in this kind of a battle, you know, we're all experiencing this kind of need and to try to be gentle in that with each other. Um, so I think silence makes way for lament and lament is like a passage. It's not a, it's not a, uh, destination, right? Lament is not, um, the state that we were meant for. Lament is what we do in the passage between now and um, the full restoration that God has planned and has is committed to. He will bring it to completion, right? We're promised that. And so w- as we move through this passage of lament, I think that for me has been a place that I've seen a lot of growth in our congregation and in my own, and in my own life. Um, the comfort in um, Isaiah 40, um, let me pull that up really quick. Um, just this really, it's a familiar passage, but um, I remember we used to go to here, my family used to go here, Handel's Messiah, downtown in St. Louis every year, and they would sing this song. It's like one of the first passages in the, in the Messiah, and it's, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And here's like the high point. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So I think of this verse and this section as like God is comforting his people. And then as Paul says later in the New Testament, we are comforted that we may comfort others. So this is sort of the mantle for you as leaders to be the first um, to admit your need for healing and to be the, because, and when you, we've already said, like, if you're going to say you need healing, you're going to find that Jesus is a savior sufficient for your healing. And then when that's true, then you are able to see this as like a mantle, a blessing, and even a command to say, comfort, go comfort these people. Like they need to hear the good news. And it, it doesn't, I mean, not just maybe for the first time or maybe for the thousandth time, but we need to hear it again, right? And so this, I think this passage has been one that has followed me around in the last few years, both my need for it and then my call to, um, to like use my voice to sing out of that, you know, like 
And I, obviously, I don't, like, we don't know how to do that for ourselves. But we can say, Lord, please do this. Like, bring your comfort to your people. That the truth of your word and the, and the, the truth that you are faithful to us would be made known in our voices and in our instruments and in our relationships with each other. And it's a really, it's kind of, like, it's so ordinary, right? We, we put charts together for a service, and we plan things, and we start at the wrong tempo, or, like, somebody, <laughs> you know, gets sick that morning and can't show up. So, like, all of the logistics that are happening, but if you zoom out and realize what a miraculous thing that we get to be part of this, like, we get to participate in the comfort, the receiving and the giving of God's comfort by way of song and... That's why, like, lullabies are so powerful for putting a child to sleep. There's something hardwired into our the DNA of music that would say, somehow God has woven the ability for that to bring comfort. And what a cool thing. Like, it's somewhere in the science of it, you know? And um, so this, this next one is one that um, was an old hymn that was brought into... Um, first, it was put on a, an Indelible Grace album, uh, maybe our first, the first one, which was like a long time ago. Um, but I remember this hymn when I was, from when I was a kid. Um, it's called Whatever My God Ordains is Right. And such a powerful hymn. The original, like the text is so beautiful, it's very heavy. But then there's the tune that I knew from like the Trinity hymnal as a girl was pretty bombastic. It was pretty like straightforward. And then the first Indelible Grace tune was um, also like very declarative. Like you hear, this is one of the cool things, like you can put new tunes to things, right? You guys have done this. It's, um, I know, I know here in, at the, in the community in Louisville, this has been a beautiful practice, but like putting old tunes, I mean, new tunes to old texts and continuing to revive them, you start to notice different reflections in the text. And so um, a couple of years ago, Latifa Alatas and I worked on this hymn and kind of morphed it with a chorus of the word sweet comfort, because I, I feel like with the heaviness of the theology in this hymn, one of the things that I, I have... Um, learned over the last few years is that the doctrine of God's providence in our lives is actually not intent. It was not given to us to be a theological debate. It was given to us as a comfort. Like this was the idea that God is sovereign is not meant to make you mad. It's meant to help you to know that you are held and that there is, God is not surprised by the devastation that happens in our world and in our lives. And if we begin to know this God who weeps with us and who is like in it with us, who has come to be with us, um, this changes everything. And it gives us not the indulgence of our emotion, but um, the fruitfulness of our emotion. Like these, like as we weep with others, we are aligning with God's heart in this way. And even as he weeps with us and we do the same, it's just this like... This is where we are now, and there will be a day that we will not have this. But this experience of weeping together and celebrating together is something that even the angels long to look into. They won't know what that's like. They won't know what it is to suffer with Christ the way that we have opportunity to do. And, and when we do this as a community and as a global community, as a historic community, we realize, oh, I am not the first one to feel this. You know, I mean, this is not like I'm not the center of the universe where my emotion should be like, you know, um, 
blown up out of proportion, right? So I think that there's it helps us to contextualize our pain and also to commune with each other and to commune with Christ in, um, in the way that he has carried that on our behalf. So I'll sing a little bit of this one. Sweet. 
a good one for harmonies. I should have told you that before, because <clears throat> I know you can sing some harmonies. Um, what questions do you guys have? Mm -hmm. uh, great question. Um, <clears throat> we've been talking, there's so many folks here um, that have different ways of approaching it. I don't know if I really, it's definitely not a formula. So um, sometimes it's just a meditation, like something will kind of hook. Uh, I, I'm very drawn to to words. Like I love Dylan songs because I love words and poetry and how it all strings together. Um, and then I think there's a, a way that the words kind of resonate or they have like an electricity with something that's happening in your life. So that I think that's the part was like where it connects personally. And when that sparks at the same time, um, it, you know, as you're, as you're soaking in music and having, like, is that's part of your language or of expression? I think that the melodies then just come up out of that kind of electricity place, you know? So uh, sometimes... I mean, I had the experience like with Psalm 43. I was, I have a song on the Psalms record, Send Out Your Light. And it was like I kept running into that psalm. Or a friend would, um, like I, I was having a hard time and I was texted a friend and, and it was like late at night. And they were like, I just think you need to read Psalm 43 again. It's just like on my heart. So things like that. Or I'd walk into a cathedral and they're reading it. It was like, what is happening with this song? <laughs> You know, and so I think those kind of things where you just start to see like some some overlap are these things that you just want to pay attention to. And um, yeah, maybe that is even something in and of itself is what no matter what your approach is. Um, I was talking with a friend earlier about if you have a place of strength, like if you're if you're a lyric writer, then maybe just give yourself freedom to write a bunch of um, stanzas. Or if you're a devotional writer, write a lot of devotion and don't filter it, and then and then try to like move it into um, the format that you would need to sing it. You know, a metered form. Sometimes on an airplane, I'll just write stanzas that are not rhyming but that have the flow or like the meter form of of like a hymn or of something that you know, like a sonnet or something like that. And um, I mean, I don't, I can't write a sonnet. Make no mis no mistake about that, but but I think trying to use any tools, literary tools, to kind of draw that stuff out, and then the music side, um, man, I, that's a hard one because I feel like we have so little control over how how we get inspired musically, but we can control what we listen to, and we can stretch our minds and our hearts by listening to interesting music. And there's so much good music out there. And it's just like sometimes it's hard to know where to begin, but asking people and um, being curious about it and trying to and going out to hear live music and um, visiting different churches and seeing how they do things, um, places that are different traditions, different countries, different... Um, all that stuff will feed into what your melodies are coming out of. Um, so, yeah, I, I, gosh, I wish I could say, okay, so sometimes I'll just sit down and like, I'll sit down with the psalm in front of me. This is probably the most common thing. And with my guitar or with the piano. And I will just sing, I will pray and sing what jumps out at me. Like I will pray what seems like needs to be prayed right now. 
and songs will emerge from that. And I'm not thinking about songwriting. I'm thinking about, um, I'm just letting it sort of flow. And I, and then, so when I started the Psalms record, it was that way. I would sit with, with an instrument and just kind of sing through them in my kitchen and just sing through little sections and repeat little sections of the text. And then those would begin to like form into, it's probably a little bit like if, if you did pottery, it's like, it's like a lump of clay and then it kind of starts to take on some shape. Um, I can't do that either. I don't know how to do pottery at all. But does that help a little bit? Okay. Anybody else? Yes. Oh, wow. Um, man. I don't know. Let me think about it and see if I could... I mean, specifically around songwriting, I don't know. Um, I would say there's been a lot... A lot of my formation in terms of church work has been has been through books, but through songwriting, it's probably much more through seeing people perform and experiencing music in the room, um, or yeah, or singing together with other people and collaborating and co-writing with other people. I think all those are ways of um, kind of holding the mirror up and seeing what you're doing and learning from somebody else. Um, and yeah, I, I think. There are lots of ways to do it, but I don't know if I have a lot of book references for you on in terms of songwriting. Good question. Anybody else? Yeah. Two things. One really quick. How often do you write lyrics? Daily, weekly? Uh, it's seasonal. Like I'll write lyrics sometimes a lot all at once. Um, and if I get five or six songs into an album then it seems to like gain momentum and I write more toward toward the moment like toward the recording process um but as far as church I also write um that kind of meanders it'd be like once every couple of weeks I guess but you know it's seasons because this year has been I've had so much transition this year I think I've written less but I don't know. I don't know, actually, because maybe I'm just not keeping track. And if you look at my voice recorder, it's probably like, oh, quite a few songs. <laughs> but they're not like finished songs. They're just voice memos at this point with the birds chirping in the background. How do you, how do you also approach, um, if you're trying to write a song from a biblical text, um, I'm working on one from Psalm 110, for example, and it's just basically how do you write your difficult or just loaded? Oh, yeah. Most people just skip it. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, that, I mean, that's probably why I haven't done, like, verbatim interpretations of, I mean, because there's some, like, heavy stuff in the Psalms. But I would say, uh, yeah, try to meditate on it and um, bring it into a context that's, that is, um, fresh and and like accessible it just but that's my approach I mean I think you could either just deal with it straight up I would say the guys from the verses would say just go straight in and do every word but different ways to interpret that yes hmm Yeah. 
Um, with the church, writing for the church versus writing for a, a performance. I mean, there would be like variations. So sometimes if I have a song that I'd put on an album, I will skip the bridge in church because it's just like one more thing to learn. So we'll just do it with that, like we'll streamline it. Um, and and then even in the context of one service, like depending on where it is in the service, like I usually at the recessional, like at the end, I'll try to do something that's, um, that's like... Uh, I mean, even if it's a heavy service, I'll try to do something with a little bit of triumph, like a little bit of benediction musically. And I would also cut a lot of sections. So maybe just two or three verses, like get in and get out, you know, because people are like, you know, they're ready. They're ready to go. Um, so um, in the church context, yeah, I think try singability is a tricky thing. And for me, because my formation was really around like self-expression and singer-songwriter music, then when I started realizing, oh, people are singing Thy Mercy, My God, which had so much nuanced phrasing, they, they sing it differently or nobody knows exactly where that beat is supposed to fall. And so I've tried to be more mindful of that and to write in a way that's singable. And maybe the best practice for me in learning how to be more singable is writing with and for children like sing, letting them sing it around the house. And they're just like, man, if they don't like it, they're going to tell you they don't like it. <laughs> and, um, and, and I think that's also a great way because like I don't want to dumb it down for, for my kids. And, um, and they don't, I mean, so I want to keep a high bar of like, um, even if I'm trying to distill a big theological concept, I want it to be like smart and articulate, but also like to, to where they understand and that's the thing about like the parables and the gospel itself is like it is simple. Like we're not trying to be elitist about this. It's inclusive, and um, and that's even where silence comes back in. It's like even if you can't talk about it, make something beautiful. Like play something musically beautiful to where people feel the hospitality of God when you play this piece. And um, so there's a lot in there that I'm, I don't know if I'm exactly answering your question, but I think being mindful of hospitality when it comes to church music is like how do you how do you make it for everyone and not just for you to have a moment um to express yourself um that's been really important and I think that's an important thing in the life and and maturity of a worship leader is like learning um and we talked about this earlier in the session I'm sorry if you're hearing it twice but uh, like it's really important if you're leading that you can differentiate when the congregation is not with you and they cannot sing the song and like maybe don't do that song again or teach them or take the time. Like it might be worth, you know, like Joel was saying for their church, it's like it's worth it if you it, you want to push through and you want them to learn this song because it's going to take a minute. But other times it's like just know that that one didn't resonate the way you thought it would or the way it did for you and be mindful of how how they are um, pacing and because and, and, the idea is to sing together, that we're in this together. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's right. I think uh, some people do, when, in preparing for a co-write, a lot of people do bring something to the right. So if you have not have a time you want to get together, like bring a stanza or a concept or 
a couple of little musical voice ideas. And that's a lot of times how I've seen people do that, where you start with one or the other and then see who, if it, if the other person's like, oh, I love that. Let's work on that. And if not, then it's like, mm, I'm not sure about that one. Like, or I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, <laughs> it's like if, if you're like, oh, I have this metaphor and it's this thing, but the other person, it might totally fall flat for them. And I think um, it can be really vulnerable, the feeling of that. You're just like, man, you got to push through the bad ideas to get to the good ones. And you got to just like keep trying. And I think sometimes people that are more extroverted, more outgoing, um, have an easier time with collaborating like that, co-writing. Um, in which case, if you're more introverted, then maybe it's better to bring like a whole bunch of verses and have somebody help you with the chorus. And you could let it, um, you know, or whatever, whatever version of that it is, but come with some maybe more of a finished idea and see if they can help you with that specific task. So that's a good question. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. It's a great question because even hearing you say that for you it's more satisfying to write personally, I have found that there's so much more feedback with church work that I almost devalue things that are just for my own personal expression because they're not as useful. So they're both, I think that remembering that all of life is spiritual is so, you know, like just if it's a song about Jesus or if it's a song about, you know, um, like your daughter or whatever, you know, it's like, um, this is not a hierarchy of what's spiritual and what God delights in, you know, because he's delighted in us just because we are his, not because we just wrote him this great song and everybody sings it, you know, which is good news for the days that we do nothing that feels like worth contributing. And um, just to say that, like, our relationship to him and to the work is not performance-based. And when we can start there, we sort of level the ground for whatever grows up out of it is going to be um, welcome. So for me, it's a little messy because I I don't really do just one of those things. I kind of do both of them. And um, so I try not to filter whether or not I'm writing this or writing that, um, just to make sure I'm just letting things grow up creatively in the soil, from the soil. And then doing the marketing work later. I'm sorry to say it, like, but saying like, do all the marketing work, meaning do these 10 songs fit together? Or this one's a, a weird oddball song about like how I love rain on Saturdays, you know? Like a valid thing, but it does not fit in these other songs. So I think like trying to figure out like, maybe for me it's been helpful to like push off those like thoughts, those kind of logistic thoughts till later and letting the creative space just be totally open like a, you know, I think of a, a padded room for a toddler and you're just like you can do anything go in there <laughs> you know you're not gonna get hurt <laughs> and when we have that kind of space and freedom then see what happens and um, sometimes I think I'm surprised on a and I think I have a lot of people that I've written with or collaborated with that also write lots of different kinds of things and so there's probably even more freedom but if I go in to write with a country writer it's like you, you're gonna get a country song right and and um but you never know. <laughs> you might end up with, like, you know, the next in Christ alone. I don't know. Um. <laughs>
yeah. Anyway, yes. That's a good question. Words are tricky things, right? Because we start to use them, and then they become like these little boxes that we have to live in. And um, yeah, so the term modern hymn has probably been helpful for people in recent years because there's still a lot of distaste toward hymns culturally in the evangelical church. It's just kind of like hymns are lame, you know. And when that's kind of the umbrella, so to take that word and repackage it with the word modern, you kind of open up this possibility that people are like, oh, well, maybe this is something I would like, you know. So I don't know. That's just as far as semantics. That might be useful. Um, but I do love the the... The, I think another one of them, so if noise is one of the major cultural things we're pushing up against, the other thing I think is intergenerational division. Like I think more than just about anything within our churches, like what does it mean to sing together young and old or worship together or be in community together and every age. And I think words like phrases like modern hymn is a way to me of kind of standing in the middle and welcoming both, like welcoming everybody. Um, and... Yeah, there are lots of ways of being divided, but I think generations is, is a pretty major one in our churches. Um, and when it breaks down, when it, in other words, when it unifies, it is so beautiful. Like when you just realize, oh, we're doing that song, and I can't, I can't stand that song. But I know that Bob in the third row, like he loves that song. And I know his story, and I know why he loves that song. So all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is a more integrated service than if it was just all my favorites, you know. So I think in, in the context of worship planning, um, modern hymn or how we talk about it is like the idea is still, and again, hospitality. Okay, so maybe we should do, you want to you want to sing one more, one more question? And then we'll sing one more song. Yes, I was just, oh my gosh, that was like on cue. <laughs> I'm sorry, was your, <laughs> like, because I was just, <laughs> that's so great. Um, yeah, if you guys know it, we'll sing a little bit of this together. Hard to play with books on the thing. Okay. We will feast in the house of.
all so much. Lord bless you guys. Thanks for spending this time together.